You're listening to a sermon preached at Chael English Ministry in Sydney. We believe that God speaks through His Word, the Bible. We pray that as you listen, you will hear God's voice and be moved to worship His Son, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are both sovereign and loving. We thank you that you have caused your word to be preserved for us over so many centuries so that we might note you rightly, know ourselves rightly, and know how to live for your glory. Our Father, we pray now that as we look at your word, that you would help us to understand what it says and that you'd help us to have the courage to change the things that we need to change and give us the courage to not change what we shouldn't change. Help us to live uncompromisingly as your people. For it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. Uh, A few weeks ago, I got a phone call from another pastor, and he was asking me to consider moving church. He wanted me to come and work with him at his church. Uh, It seemed like an interesting proposal. But anyway, you may or may not be pleased to know that I said no. I said no to him. Uh, A couple of days later, I was meeting with another good friend of mine for lunch, and I told him about the offer. And he said to me, wow, that sounds awesome. Sounds like a really good offer. You'd fit right in. You should go. You going to take it? And I said to him, no way. I love my people. I've got lots of responsibilities. There's so many things that I want to see happen, etc., etc." And then he used a very strange expression on me. He looked at me and he said, oh, you're such a stick in the mud. It's a bit of a strange expression, isn't it? I mean, a stick in the mud. And in my mind, I pictured a stick, like a branch off a tree, sticking out of the mud. So I thought, what does that mean, a stick in the mud? So I went home and did what any other smart person would do. I Googled it. I looked online. Apparently, it's got nothing to do with tree branches. Uh, The word stick is not being used as a noun. It's actually being used as a verb. You know, it's not a branch. It's used as a verb. To stick, to stay, to stay in the mud, to stick in the mud. So... A stick in the mud is, you have to picture a person who's in some mud, let's say, and someone is calling out to them, hello there, friend, come out of the mud. But they're saying in response, no, I'm sticking right here. I'm happy in my mud. I don't want to move anywhere. That's the picture. So the expression, according to the internet and what my friend thinks of me, The expression refers to someone who doesn't want to change, someone who is unprogressive, dull, and unadventurous, someone who avoids new activities, ideas, or attitudes. That's me, apparently. Um, One time, I'll have you know, uh, the Duke of Cambridge is reported to have said this, any change at any time for any reason is to be deplored. That's what he said. Let me tell you, that's a man after my own heart right there. I don't like change. Uh, But that is your, quote, stick in the mud. That's what that is. Someone who is uninterested in change, even if that means the change is good for them. That's a stick in the mud. And I have to admit, 
Now, my friend's right. I am a bit of a stick in the mud. There's not much change in my life. And to be honest with you, I'm not too particularly fond of change. I don't deal well with change. I've been a Christian now for 14 years. I've been married to the same woman now for eight and a half years. I've been here in the same job for seven years. I do like stability. I do like routine. I don't like change for change's sake. For example, I don't get too excited about every new piece of technology that comes out. Um, And if you know me well, you know that I don't follow the latest fashion trends. I'm always wearing trackies and a hoodie. I have terrible fashion. Um, You also know I pretty much never listen to the latest music. I'm still stuck in the 90s. Um, So me, if I'm honest, I'm the kind of guy that's just like, I'll just stick in the mud. Thank you very much. I like where I am. And as the great poem goes, come weal or woe, my status is quo. Thank you. It's a hard crowd. (laughs) But you know what? I'm used to it. It's okay. I suppose I am a bit of a stick in the mud, but I wonder, I wonder, is that a bad thing? Is it a bad thing to be a stick in the mud? Well, in the next three chapters of Jeremiah, we follow Jeremiah's interactions with a man by the name of Zedekiah. And I reckon that both Jeremiah and Zedekiah, in their own ways, are stick-in-the-muds. I'll show you. I think these two guys are two different stick-in-the-muds, but the really neat thing about this passage today is that both these guys actually end up stuck in the mud, sunk in the mud. And that's why I've titled today's sermon, Stick-in-the-muds, Sunk-in-the-mud. Let's have a look. If you've been following with us in our study through Jeremiah, you'll remember that Zedekiah was the king of Judah, but he was a puppet king. They put him there in office because he was quite pathetic, to be honest. He was a bit of a loser. He was a wimp, a coward. He had no backbone. So therefore, he was appointed by the Babylonian Empire to be the king of Judah. The first thing we hear about Zedekiah and his officials is this. They did not pay attention to God's word. In other words, they may have heard God's word. In fact, we know that they did hear God's word through Jeremiah, but they weren't willing to change to do what God says. They were stick in the muds. They would not change their lives in obedience to the word of God. Look with me at chapter 37, verse 1 and 2. Jeremiah chapter 37, verse 1 and 2. Zedekiah, son of Josiah, was made king of Judah by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He reigned in place of Jehoiachin, son of Jehoiakim. Neither he nor his attendants nor the people of the land paid any attention to the words that the Lord had spoken through Jeremiah the prophet. Now, as we come into chapter 37, the year is 588 BC. The Babylonian army has been besieging Jerusalem, surrounding Jerusalem, but just at this point, there's a pause in the siege. The Babylonian army have left Jerusalem because there's a rumor that they're about to be attacked by the Egyptian army. Look with me at verse 4 and 5. Now Jeremiah was free to come and go among the people, for he had not yet been put in prison. Pharaoh's army had marched out of Egypt, and when the Babylonians who were besieging Jerusalem heard the report about them, they withdrew from Jerusalem. The Babylonians withdraw, and the Jews go, Yay! This is awesome! God's going to rescue us. This is great. We're going to be liberated. We're going to be set free. They think that God might rescue them. But Jeremiah has a message for Zedekiah. In fact, 
It's exactly the same message that he's had for all the kings since Josiah, for the last 40 years. It's the same message. You see, Jeremiah is also a stick in the mud. He will not change. Precisely, he will not change the message no matter what. And so, for the 70,000th time in the last 40 years, Jeremiah says the same thing. God's not going to rescue you. Babylon's going to defeat you. They're going to destroy the city. Look with me at verse 6 to 8. Verse 6 to 8. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of me, Pharaoh's army, which has marched out to support you, will go back to its own land, to Egypt. Then the Babylonians will return and attack this city. They will capture it and burn it down. Now, during this pause in the siege, Jeremiah tries to head out to his hometown to deal with some property issues. And if you're following with us, uh, you will remember that God asked him to invest in the local property market. Remember? So that's what Jeremiah is doing. So even at this point, Jeremiah is already investing in things. He's investigating things. But while he's leaving the city, he's arrested. He's arrested and he's charged with desertion, and the officials chuck him in prison. Look with me at verse 11 to 16. Verse 11 to 16. After the Babylonian army had withdrawn from Jerusalem because of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah started to leave the city to go to the territory of Benjamin to get his share of the property among the people there. But when he reached the Benjamin gate, the captain of the guard, whose name was Erijah, son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah, arrested him and said, you are deserting to the Babylonians. That's not true, Jeremiah said. I'm not deserting to the Babylonians. But Erijah would not listen to him. Instead, he arrested Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. They were angry with Jeremiah. Of course they're angry with him. It's their opportunity because of what he's been preaching. Of course they're angry at him. They were angry with Jeremiah and had him beaten and imprisoned in the house of Jonathan the secretary, which they had made into a prison. Jeremiah was put into a vaulted cell in a dungeon where he remained a long time. Now, eventually... Zedekiah sends for Jeremiah, but we'll see that he does it privately. He does it in secret. He does it low-key. Why? Because he's scared to be seen with Jeremiah. He asks Jeremiah, hey, uh, is there any message from God? But Jeremiah, being a complete stick in the mud, he gives him the same message again. Babylon's going to defeat you. Look with me at verse 17. Verse 17, then King Zedekiah sent for him and had him brought to the palace where he asked him privately, is there any word from the Lord? Yes, Jeremiah replied, you will be delivered into the hands of the king of Babylon. Jeremiah then asked Zedekiah to get him out of the prison that the officials put him in. And uh, we'll see for the first time something that we're going to see over and over and over again. Zedekiah does what people tell him to do. Zedekiah does what Jeremiah asks. He helps him. Look at verse 18 to 21. Verse 18 to 21. Then Jeremiah said to King Zedekiah, What crime have I committed against you or your attendants or this people that you've put me in prison? Where are your prophets who prophesied to you? The king of Babylon will not attack you or this land. But now, my lord the king, please listen. Let me bring my petition before you. Do not send me back to the house of Jonathan the secretary, or I will die there. 
King Zedekiah then gave orders for Jeremiah to be placed in the courtyard of the guard and given, and given a loaf of bread from the street of the bakers each day until all the bread in the city was gone. So Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the guard. The officials, they soon hear about what Zedekiah has done and they want to do away with Jeremiah. And now the king, again, does what is told. He does what they say. And Jeremiah ends up sunk in the mud. Look at verse 4, chapter 38, verse 4 to 6. Chapter 38, verse 4 to 6. Then the officials said to the king, This man should be put to death. He is discouraging the soldiers who are left in this city, as well as all the people, by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. He is in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to oppose you. So they took Jeremiah and put him into the cistern of Malkijah, the king's son who was in the courtyard of the guard. They lowered Jeremiah by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud, and Jeremiah sank down into the mud. So here's the picture. Jeremiah sunk in the mud. And why? Because he is such a stick in the mud about God's word. Because he's stubborn, he won't change. Because he's not going to change the message to God's people. Because Jeremiah isn't going to please people. He fears God more than he fears man. So he will not change the message. Meanwhile, the king is gutless and hopeless and so pathetic. He doesn't have the guts to help Jeremiah so we see a guy called, a brave man, called Ebed-Melech, who comes to help. It's important to know Ebed-Melech is not even a Jewish man. It's not even a kinsman. It's not even a part of the tribe. And yet, he asks the king's permission to rescue Jeremiah. And yet again, Zedekiah does what he's told. What kind of king is that? Look at verse 7. Verse 7 to 13. But Ebed-Melech, a Cushite, an official in the royal palace, heard that they had put Jeremiah into the cistern. While the king was sitting in the Benjamin gate, Ebed-Melech went out of the palace and said to him, My lord the king, these men have acted wickedly in all they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. They have thrown him into a cistern where he will starve to death when there is no longer any bread in the city. Then the king commanded Ebed-Melech the Cushite, Take thirty men from here with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies." So Ebed-Melech took the men with him and went to a room under the treasury in the palace. He took some old rags and worn out clothes from there and let them down with ropes to Jeremiah in the cistern. Ebed-Melech the Cushite said to Jeremiah, put these old rags and worn out clothes under your arms to pad the ropes. Jeremiah did so and they pulled him up with the ropes and lifted him out of the cistern and Jeremiah remained in the courtyard of the guard. King Zedekiah calls Jeremiah back in. He wants to have another one of those secret meetings. But Jeremiah knows. This bloke is not going to change. I'm wasting my time. There's no point talking to this guy. He's not going to listen to God's word. He's not going to obey God's word. Look with me at chapter 38, verse 14 and 15. Chapter 38, verse 14, 15. Then King Zedekiah sent for Jeremiah the prophet and had him brought to the third entrance to the temple of the Lord. I'm going to ask you something, the king said to Jeremiah. Do not hide anything from me. Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, if I give you an answer, will you not kill me? Even if I did give you counsel, you would not listen to me. Zedekiah won't listen 
He won't change. Zedekiah is too scared of what everyone else thinks to do what God says. He's got massive fear of man issues, this guy. But he's met his match in Jeremiah because Jeremiah also won't change to appease people. Jeremiah is someone that fears God more than humans. And so Jeremiah tells Zedekiah the same message again. Look with me at verse 17. Verse 17 to 19. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, this is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel, says. If you surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, your life will be spared and this city will not be burnt down. You and your family will live. But if you will not surrender to the officers of the king of Babylon, the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians and they will burn it down. You yourself will not escape from them. King Zedekiah said to Jeremiah, I am afraid of the Jews who have gone over to the Babylonians, for the Babylonians may hand me over to them and they will mistreat me. It's at this point that Jeremiah makes a lovely, I mean, it's a terrible, it's a terrible thing, but it's at this point Jeremiah makes an awesome little play on their situations. Remember where Jeremiah's just been? He's just been stuck in a well, right, in a cistern. Jeremiah literally has been sunk in the mud at the bottom of a well. But now, Jeremiah says to Zedekiah, he says, if you won't change, if you won't do what God says, if you be a stick in the mud in your rebellion against God's word, you're going to end up sunk in the mud. You and all your so-called friends, they're not going to be able to help you. You're going to be sunk. All these people that you're fearing more than God, they're not going to be able to help you. They'll be useless for you. You're going to be sunk in the mud of the judgment of God. Look at verse 20, chapter 38, verse 20 to 23. They will not hand you over, Jeremiah replied. Obey the Lord by doing what I tell you, then it will go well with you and your life will be spared. But if you refuse to surrender, this is what the Lord has revealed to me. All the women left in the palace of the king of Judah will be brought out to the officials of the king of Babylon. Those women will say to you, they misled you and overcame you, those trusted friends of yours. Your feet are sunk in the mud. Your friends have deserted you. All your wives and children will be brought out to the Babylonians. You yourself will not escape from their hands, but will be captured by the king of Babylon, and this city will be burnt down. Zedekiah has heard this message over and over again. And you know what? I reckon Zedekiah actually believes the message, but he won't change. And so, in the next chapter, it all happens. Babylon renews the siege, Jerusalem falls, and Zedekiah and his officials face the shocking and horrific consequences of disobeying God. Look with me at chapter 39, verse 4 to 9. Chapter 39, verse 4 to 9. Look at what happens. When Zedekiah, king of Judah, and all the soldiers saw them, that is, the Babylonian army, they fled. 
they left the city at night by way of the king's garden through the gate between the two walls and headed toward the Arabah. But the Babylonian army pursued them and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho. They captured him and took him to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, at Riblah in the land of Hamath, where he pronounced sentence on him. There at Riblah, the king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and also killed all the nobles of Judah. Then he put out Zedekiah's eyes and bound him with bronze shackles to take him to Babylon. The Babylonians set fire to the royal palace and the houses of the people and broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard, carried into exile to Babylon the people who remained in the city along with those who had gone over to him and the rest of the people. It's hard to think of a worse fate than to have your children murdered before your eyes, you're helpless to help them, and then to have your eyeballs gouged out, and that's the last thing you see, the horrific murder of your own kids. Zedekiah meets a terrible fate, but Jeremiah, God rescues. Look with me at verse 11 to 14. Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had given these orders about Jeremiah through Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard. Take him and look after him. Don't harm him, but do for him whatever he asks. So Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, Nebuchadnezzar, a chief officer, Nergel Sharazar, a high official, and all the other officers of the king of Babylon sent and had Jeremiah taken out of the courtyard of the guard. They turned him over to Gedaliah, son of Achim, the son of Shaphran, to take him back to his home. So he remained among his own people. Jeremiah was rescued. And also, do you remember Ebed-Melech, the Cushite guy that helped him? He also is rescued. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 to 18. While Jeremiah had been confined in the courtyard of the guard, the word of the Lord came to him. Go and tell Ebed-Melech the Cushite, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I am about to fulfill my words against this city, words concerning disaster, not prosperity. At that time, they will be fulfilled before your eyes. But I will rescue you on that day, declares the Lord. You will not be given into the hands of those you fear. I will save you. You will not fall by the sword, but will escape with your life because you trust in me, declares the Lord. Well, that's as far as we're going today. Can you see what's there? Can you see what's here in these three chapters? I mean, it's, it's, ter- it's a terrible and an awful and a tragic and quite a disturbing story, right, with what happens to King Zedekiah. But can you also see the neat contrast? There's a neat contrast here, very clear, a clear contrast between Jeremiah and Zedekiah. Both of them are stick in the muds. Jeremiah, because he wants to please God, he will not change the message. Zedekiah, meanwhile, because he wants to please people, he will change everything except himself in light of God's message. He won't change himself in light of God's message. In these three chapters, we see two stick in the muds who both end up sunk in the mud. Jeremiah temporarily sunk in the mud as he faces the anger of men, but Zedekiah 
permanently as he faces the anger of God. Well, at the start of the sermon, I asked you, is it a bad thing to be a stick in the mud? Is it a bad thing to be a stick in the mud? Well, I guess as we look at these three chapters, the answer is, I mean, it's not the only answer there is. It's not all there is to say. But on on the basis of these three chapters, the answer to that question, is it a bad thing to be a stick in the mud? The answer is, it depends, right? It depends on what kind of a stick in the mud you are. It depends on what you're willing to change. It depends on what you're not willing to change. And it depends also on where you're willing to be sunk in the mud. What consequences that you're willing to endure. Friends, if you think about it, Jesus himself was a stick in the mud. Think about it. Just like Jeremiah, Jesus insisted on obeying God the Father. Jesus, he set his face towards Jerusalem, the scripture says, Luke 5, Luke 9, 51. Jesus, he wouldn't let anything change him from his course of obedience to God. He kept going, even to being sunk in the mud of the cross. Until, just like how Ebed-Melech lifted Jeremiah out of the well, God lifted Jesus out of the mud of death and into eternal resurrected life. It is good to be a stick in the mud like Jeremiah, like Jesus. That's a good thing. I would say the Bible is perfectly clear in saying that that is a good thing. Being a stick in the mud like Jeremiah, like Jesus, that's a good thing. It is good to be stubborn and to be unchanging in your commitment to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good thing. It is good to be that kind of stick in the mud who will not tolerate any change to God's original apostolic word. It's a good thing to be that kind of stick in the mud. The kind of person who says, I don't want to hear anything except the Bible. The person who says, I'm not interested in what you've got to say unless it's from the Bible. And if you tell me that it's outdated, if you tell me that it's irrelevant, if you tell me that it's bigoted, if you tell me that it's offensive, well, too bad. Because I'm going to stick in the mud of the original apostolic message, the Word of God. It's good to be that kind of stick in the mud, I think. That's a good kind of stick in the mud to be. Or when people tell you that there are lots of different ways to God, we ought to be stick in the mud about that. We need to say, no, no, there's only one way to God, and his name is Jesus. There is only one way. Jesus is the one and only way to be right with God, our creator. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved, Acts 4.12. I'm going to stick in the mud of Jesus alone being the Savior. It's good to be that kind of stick in the mud. It's good to be the kind of stick in the mud who insists on obeying God. The kind of stick in the mud who insists on being sexually faithful, whether that means in singleness or marriage. That's a good thing. The kind of stick in the mud who insists on acting with integrity and transparency at work, even when everyone else is calling you a wowser or a loser, even if your whole workplace is giving you pressure on Rainbow Day or Purple Day, whatever it might be, and you're just there as a Christian and you insist 
on being a person of gospel convictions, working with integrity, and a person of transparency and character, no matter what. It's good to be that kind of stick in the mud. Don't you think so? It's good to be the kind of stick in the mud who asks of technology, not just is it new or is it shiny, but who asks of technology, will this help me to be godly? Will this help me to communicate the gospel to a perishing world? It's good to be that kind of stick in the mud. It's good to be the kind of stick in the mud who insists on talking about Jesus even when everyone wishes you would shut up. It's a good thing to be that kind of stick in the mud. It's good to be uncompromising and stubborn and firm and deeply committed in your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and in your commitment to live to please him. Friends, you need to know that that kind of behavior, it will get you sunk in the mud. Family or friends might think you're crazy. Your parents might think you're going through a Christian phase. And when you don't come out of that phase, they might get upset at you. You might be left out of things. You might lose some friendships. You might lose your job. You might miss out on stuff. But being that kind of stick in the mud, even if it leaves you sunk in the mud of conflict or persecution or tension, even if it means people hate you or attack you or get angry with you, we need to know that God is going to raise stick in the muds like that to life. The redemption story ends with God, not humankind. God is going to raise that kind of stick in the mud back to resurrected glory life. That's the truth. Just like he did with Jeremiah. Just like he did with Jesus. God will raise stick in the muds like that to resurrected life. Through the death of Jesus, the Son of God on the cross, people like that will never have to be sunk in the mud of God's final and ultimate judgment. That'll never happen to us. Church, that's the kind of stick in the muds you want to be. Stubbornly and rigorously committed to pleasing God, obeying God's word, living for him, no matter what the consequences are. And I've got to say that I praise God that so many people sitting in here right now are living like that. That so many people in this room right now are stick in the muds with their gospel convictions. Just the other day, I was talking to one of our sisters here at church. She's single. She would like to be married. And just like many other people, she has anxieties about never getting married. Recently, a man asked her out. He has a wonderful personality. He's very cute. He's likable. He's a great guy. But she knows that he has no interest in Jesus. And so she told me, not in these words, but she told me that she's decided to stick in the mud of her singleness because she wants to honor God. A brother in our church, he was recently telling me about a job offer that he had. Uh, it meant that this new job would give him a lot more money than he's currently making. It means a lot more prestige than he's currently getting. But it also means a lot more time at work, a lot more time traveling away from his family, away from his ministry commitments here at church, and so he's told me that he's decided to stick in the mud of his current job. Yeah, it might be less money. Yeah, it might be less prestige. 
But he reckons that's the way he's going to honor God. And I've got to say, praise God for sticking the muds like that. Praise God for those people. But then there's a kind of stick in the mud you don't want to be, isn't there? The Zedekiah kind of stick in the mud. The kind of person who will not change in light of God's word. The kind of person who's more concerned about their own comfort than obeying God's word. The kind who's more concerned about what other people think than what God thinks. The kind of person who's so worried about being sunk in the mud of other people's disapproval that they forget about God's judgment. We don't want to be that kind of stick in the mud, do we? Well, my friend reckons I'm a stick in the mud. He's probably right. And I have to admit, to be honest for me, when I reflect on my own heart, I think that I'm more often like Zedekiah than I am like Jeremiah. I don't change the way that I know God's word tells me to change. I reckon for me, a big factor is laziness. You know, I just read an article the other day about the seven deadly sins. You know seven deadly sins from the medieval church? Um, You know what number one is? Sloth. Well, the seven deadly sins. It's sloth, laziness. And as I was reading this article, I came to realize why there is so much that I don't do and why there is so much that I do that is displeasing to God. And I reckon that's a sheer out of laziness. I think, to be honest with you, it's also because I'm low-key worried about what other people will think of me. I think, too often, I care about my reputation more than God's glory, more than obedience. And what that does is, it makes me change things that I shouldn't change. But hopefully, hopefully, in God's kindness, at least some of my unwillingness to change comes down to a desire to be faithful to God and faithful to my family and faithful to my church. And hopefully, I'm not always unwilling to change. Hopefully, I am someone who's willing to change for the better in obedience to God's word. What about you? What about you? What kind of stick in the mud are you? What won't you change? Why not? Church, let's pray that we will be uncompromising about living for Jesus until God finally lifts us up out of the mud of judgment and into eternal life. Let's pray for that now. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he has committed himself to obeying you even to death on a cross. Father, we thank you that you lifted him from the mud of sin and death and into eternal life and you have seated him at your right hand as our eternal king. Our Father, we thank you for his example and we thank you for the example of Jeremiah in being uncompromising about living for you in obedience to your word. Father, we pray that we ourselves will be uncompromising 
about living for King Jesus, about obeying him. Heavenly Father, we pray that that day will soon come when you will lift us up out of the mud of judgment and into your glorious presence and into our eternal life. For we pray these things through Jesus our Lord. Amen.